This is the process.ink. This is Tom Benedek. I'm here uh, via Skype with Joe Swanberg. I'm in Ann Arbor. Joe is in Chicago. And you're at home in Chicago, Joe? I am, yeah. And uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I, my Netflix show comes out on Thursday, so I'm just, uh, you know, taking care of business, waiting for that to happen. Yeah, well, that's exciting. Congratulations. I, I thought I was going to talk to you about uh, Uncle Kent, too, and uh, <laughs> a few other things. But then I just uh, I just looking and I saw you. They didn't they didn't. Uh, there wasn't much uh, information about that until just now. Or did I just miss out? No, that's right. I mean, we kept it really uh, under wraps all during the shooting. I was shooting it from November through mid-February. And then, uh, you know, we were in post up until a couple months ago. And, you know, the trailer just came out a week ago, which is the most anybody's seen of the show. So I'm really excited we managed to actually do something kind of quiet feels more and more difficult these days to you know have the space to just make something without people paying attention yeah i, I just uh, watched the trailer and it, it looks great you have an amazing cast and there's a lot of different kinds of things going on amongst them uh, a lot of interesting stories unfolding so just tell me a little bit to, about it did you you wrote you wrote it you directed it you produced it you did it all in chicago yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's the same process that I've used on the films. I, I would say that I wrote it with, you know, air quotes around that or something. I wrote outlines for the episodes, but some of them as short as, you know, a paragraph. And then in other instances, uh, maybe a, two pages or something like that. But most of the dialogue was improvised by the actors and so it's eight different stories, it's anthology format, but some of the characters know each other. So there's bits of incidental overlap between a few of the episodes. Uh, some of them are totally standalone. And, you know, it's all characters in Chicago, all kind of relationship stories. And I would call it a comedy, but, you know, it's, there's plenty of drama in there. And some of them even have, you know, one of them is almost like has the format of a you know horror thriller kind of and oh. uh it, yeah it was really a chance to netflix just gave me a ton of space and freedom to try and make something interesting and different and so you know the idea would be that if i could do multiple seasons of the show we would pop back in on some of these characters you know with these year-long gaps in between seeing them and you know ideally every time every episode would always be something you could watch without having seen any of the others but you know if we could do it for a few years and you did watch all of them there would be this kind of you know almost like boyhood or or seven up you know this kind of ongoing aging process and you know all these sort of missing narrative gaps in between the different seasons that's fantastic that sounds really fascinating and so when you cast it did you you spoke to them about doing an ongoing thing and did you sort of when you, if you gave them a very limited outline or did you just pitch who you thought they were and you, how much do they own their characters and how much did you attach to people and say okay i know this person can really do this this character well that i've thought of i let them own it a lot i mean it really depended on you know how much i would say like everything i've made 
as much as the actor wants to bring to it, I will let them bring to it. And so really depended, on, you know, with certain people letting them run totally on their own and creating a lot of the character in the backstory all the way up through like working really collaboratively to do that. Some of them I had stronger ideas of the narrative than others. And in every instance, what I said is, you know, I'm not going to lock you into having to come back for multiple seasons because the nice thing about the format of the show is if somebody came and did an episode and didn't like it, we wouldn't have to ever see that character again. And for the people who really are into it, you know, there's always ways to come back and revisit these people. So, you know, all I was pitching somebody was a week in Chicago and one episode, and then, you know, we would see how it, how it went and take it from there. And did you know in advance that they were, I mean, if they were meeting with you, they knew that it was going to be improvisation. They knew what, how the show was going to be and what they were going to have to bring to it, what they were going to yes. bring to it personally? For the most part, yeah. I mean, I, I, some of these people I had already worked with before, you know, Jane Adams I've been working with for the last seven or eight years. and um, She's great. She's great. Yeah, she, she's really good. And she's, you know, she's in two episodes. She's one of the characters that does have some overlap. And, you know, other people I, I had never met before at all, who, who some of them hadn't even seen my work. You know, it was like a really brand new relationship. But, yeah, I spent a lot of time talking about the format and, and the expectations of, you know, sort of working this way before we even got into the character stuff. But, you know, it was interesting how it all shook out. I mean, a lot of people I was really looking for. I had the eight storylines before I started Skyping with anybody and, and doing any of the casting process. And it was interesting. I, I was sort of waiting for people to really hook strongly into one character or another and so, you know, usually when I talk to actors, I would tell them, you know, three or four ideas that might fit with them. And, you know, I was always hoping for somebody to go like, oh, I want to play that character. Like, I, I know exactly who that is. And it's always nice also when people are, you know, sort of up for playing themselves to some extent. And so you, 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 most of your communication with them, you didn't go to L.A. or wherever they were. You, you just did it. You just did it on Skype and just had yeah, a Skype came, call with each of them. It came together really quickly. So, you know, I didn't get a chance to do a long casting process by itself because we had a window where I wanted to do it. And by the time everything lined up, you know, we had to basically be in pre-production while I was also starting to cast. Not oh. that I didn't have a lot of people already in mind, but it was really fun. You know, I would say for, for about two weeks, I was doing Skypes with a lot of actors, you know, several of whom I didn't find a role for in this first season, but who I know I want to work with. I mean, for me, casting is always a process where I'm looking for the right fit, but I'm also taking note of a lot of people wh whose work I didn't know, who I connected with, and, you know, they're sort of kicking around in my head waiting for the right project. So just walk me through a typical um, Skype call with someone who you hadn't worked with before. I mean, how would you, they had already read something or you would just do a... No, there, there was nothing to read. I mean, I, you know, some of them maybe had seen Drinking Buddies. I, you know, I mean, of all the movies I've made, Drinking Buddies is the only one that I have a safe assumption that anybody's even heard of, you know. Oh, and come so, on, come on. You know. Well, I, yeah. I mean, since, you know, Happy Christmas and Digging for Fire certainly have their fair share of fans. But, you know, Drinking Buddies, for, for me, I could tell it got out into the world in a much larger way than any of the other ones. And 
So, you know, I was, I was meeting people who maybe had seen that or at least had heard of that. And, you know, I usually talk to people for about 45 minutes. And I would say that the first 15 minutes of that was kind of explanation of the working process. And then maybe I spent a few minutes kind of doing quick pitches of some of these episode ideas. And, but I wanted to get to know them as well. I mean, in an ideal situation, I'm writing with the people I'll be working with. And so, you know, the more I could get to know there, the more the wheels could turn on maybe who, who they might pair up nicely with or how they might fit into some of these scenarios. And so once they committed or you and you committed to them, how did the percolation process roll? What was the time frame between when, you know, between that conversation or when it was said and when they were going to arrive in Chicago and you know, start shooting? I mean, yeah, it depended. I mean, we, we you know, I, I cast Michael Chernis and Elizabeth Reeser in the first episode, which was also the first one we shot. So I, may, I maybe only had two or three weeks with them. But then, you know, as I was casting for later episodes in the season, for some of these people, I was able to have, you know, several months of lead time before we were actually going to be working together. And so in those instances, there was, you know, an opportunity to have a, a lot more of a back and forth over email, extra phone calls, a chance to let them know how the show was going, you know. So, so it was definitely in some ways advantageous from a writing standpoint to, you know, cast people in September and October who I wouldn't be working with until February. But then in other instances, you know, schedules change and get switched around anyway. So, you know, nobody came in the day after I talked to them or anything like that. But, but, you know, we were just up against it occasionally. And other times it was really, you know, felt like the perfect amount of lead time. And so when they got to set for, so it was a week shoot for each, each. Yeah, episode. typically what we did was, you know, actors would come to town on Sunday. If people weren't too tired and, and were sort of up for being social, we would maybe get dinner and hang out Sunday night. Uh, Monday would be a wardrobe fitting, visit the locations, talk through the characters, sort of hangout day without any shooting. And then we would shoot Tuesday through Friday and, and they would fly home Saturday, you know, so it was a, a pretty quick schedule. And in terms of what they had going when they arrived on the set, they didn't have dialogue. They just had like a situation. They knew every scene was a kind of situation and where the other person might be coming from or just where they were coming from. You know, like the Woody Allen thing where the person doesn't know the script. They only know their own part. How do you how do you deal with everybody? That? Everybody knew the same amount. You know, everybody involved in an episode knew the same amount. But they didn't necessarily know anything about the other episodes or the show. You know, we kind of treated each episode like its own film. And so with my crew and everybody, you know, we would finish one. We kind of did like, uh, you know, we would prep two episodes at a time. And because of the time of year we shot, uh, there was it was broken up by the holidays in a, in a really nice way. So we did two episodes and then we had a Thanksgiving break. We came back for a week of prep. We did two more. Then we had the holiday break. We came back and prepped for two weeks, did an episode, prepped for a week and did two more. And, you know, it was kind of like very nicely spread out. But with each one, it was like, you know, unlike regular TV where you kind of introduce your characters and get a flow going, you know, each of these things we shot differently. 
you know, costuming and production design was different on each one. So we really were kind of making eight short films and so it was really fun. I mean, it was good, good for my attention span and, and you know, there's no way to kind of relax into it and get lazy. You know, you're sort of reinventing it from scratch each time. And, and, you know, even if we were tired, a fresh, you know, gang of actors was coming in every week. And so, you know, I really liked it. I, I sort of, I didn't experience the fatigue that I do on films sometimes when, you know, week three or four rolls around and everybody's exhausted and, you know, you're kind of just, you know, surviving it. It's a great format for you. I mean, this sounds like you kind of invented this way to do this kind of film. It's, it's fabulous. And in, 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 the, in the, uh, the look of the, the trailer, and it's not much to see, but it, it looks like it's scripted and looks like it's very, very, not elaborately designed, but there's, you know, a lot of design and costuming going on. This is different from what you've done in the past. I mean, you, yeah, you feel like you have the luxury of more production value being spooned to you by from others or, you know. Yeah, I was working with, uh, you know, like a lot of young people. I mean, I, I did a movie with Jake Johnson uh, last July that I'm finishing up right now. And I took a lot of the crew from that onto the TV show. And, you know, it's a first time production designer. She had, she had, she was a friend of mine. And, and so I had her work in the art department on the movie to sort of get to know the ropes of that. And then I made her production designer on this show. It was the first time I had a costuming department. And, you know, a lot of people were, were in their, mid to late 20s and and you know just sort of for me it's always exciting to work with or you know to sort of like give somebody an opportunity as opposed to hire an old pro uh -huh. and especially because we were going to be sort of inventing this format as we went you know there was no rule book for how to do a show like this and so oftentimes it's better for me because i don't work in a typical way to to train somebody from the start how to do it my way as opposed to trying to untrain somebody who's used to working in films or TV. Yeah. Uh, and so it was really nice. I mean, it, I, I just, I, I couldn't say better things about the crew. I mean, all, all of them were great and, you know, we sort of really did build it from scratch. The only thing that's a shame to me is that, you know, the season ended just as I really felt like we got it and so you know i'm hoping everybody is available to come back and and you know if we get to do more of it that i could keep this team together but you know it was a pretty low budget show in terms of tv stuff but because i've been making no budget work for so long uh it still felt like plenty of money to me and so you and you've done some TV. You worked on another Netflix show. You directed episodes of uh, Love in both yeah. the first two seasons. And have you directed other TV other than that? Just one other. I, I directed an episode of an HBO show called Looking. And so, uh, other than my show, I've done now three episodes of Love because I went back and did some season two episodes, and this one episode of Looking. So you know, I mean, those experiences were really important in terms of understanding how a schedule like that works and you know for me getting to work with a much bigger crew than i typically work with on my films i mean even though those were half hour episodes of tv i mean the, the budgets and the crews were much bigger than anything i had experienced before so 
it, you know, kind of, I got to see how that system works and then, you know, cherry pick aspects of it for my own show. Uh huh. And, and how, how was it for you working with somebody else's script? Just where you had, you know, they had lines and, you know, you had to, they just had, you had just to make sure that everybody delivered their lines. I mean, how did that feel for you? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it really was the best format to, to do that for the first time and really play around with that because, you know, my ego is not attached to it in the way it is when I'm working on the film. So, you know, it's like I get to have all the fun of being a director without any of the kind of careerist or, you know, personal aspects wrapped up in it. And so I found that I loved it. And it's, you know, there's something uh, I didn't love it enough to want to write scripts for any of my movies but you know i really enjoyed showing up every day with such a solid roadmap i mean it's much less stressful uh-huh. than having to invent it every day you know so it was really nice and uh, you know i've been writing more than i used to i i would say that it's you know since drinking buddies where you know the kind of budget and production demands required me to write something that we could schedule from and, and sort of build the infrastructure around. You know, I discovered that having even a loose roadmap is necessary when you get into the size of show where you require parking permits and, you know, location rentals and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, when it's just me and my buddies, there's no reason to write anything because we're all just going to be together all day. But, you know, when it gets into call times and pickups and, and you know, just the, the sort of infrastructure of filmmaking, I at least have to give my assistant director something to work from. So, and so, oh, go ahead. And, and on Drinking Buddies, what did the script look like? I mean, how many pages was it or just, you know, was it just... It's probably was, four, 45 or 50 pages. I mean, uh, it looked like the movie. I would say if, if you read it, you, you know, everything that happens in the movie is there in some early incarnation but you know it's the movie is a lot better than the script looks and uh, you know it sort of has pretty rough descriptions of of certain ideas and and a structure and you know the actors never saw it i mean it it really did just exist for the production side to have some idea of what i was thinking but you know that if I wrote anything for the show, I, I did share that with the actors typically. But like I said, it never would have been more than like two pages or three pages. And so the schedule on Love, the the, the to shoot this episode was the same as the schedule that you had for Easy. No, we had more time on Love because it, you know Judd Apatow is uh, one of the creators of that show and a producer, and you know he got us six days per episode, which is really pretty luxurious and we did ours in four days and i think my episode of looking was five days so you know what's nice is it times out about the same as one of my features like i typically am doing three week 90 minute movies to doing a one week 30 minute show was you know i I mean my crew is used to working at that pace and i'm used to working at that pace and so I've talked. i've talked to a lot of other feature directors you, you know buddies of mine from the uh, low budget and no budget world like Ty West and Craig Zobel and some others and you know I mean it's amazing the experience we all have 
you know, having gone from making our own really small features to going and working in TV, which is, you know, really nicely financed and scheduled and you have this full crew and, you know, for most people that schedule is so fast and I think for indie directors it's really pretty nice and and familiar and so every time I have these conversations we just kind of you know we all end up talking about how lucky we feel that we came out of this super low budget production model because it kind of prepared us for you know working in the industry in a way where we weren't stressed out it felt kind of comfortable and the three-week feature shoot is that what you would do if you make a feature film this this year or next year or this winter or whatever or fall whatever it is will you use that three-week paradigm that you've used in the past or you, you feel like you're going to expand out a little bit uh probably i'll stick with that three-week schedule it's pretty nice i mean you know it depends but i'm really still making these with uh, really small budgets, which means that the actors are not being paid very much, the crew's not being paid very much, and you know, it's still the old model where if we sell the movie for a nice profit, then everybody gets paid on the back end. But when I'm working that way, I can't ask actors to come out for more than three weeks. I, you know, I don't feel good about having a schedule that's requiring more than that. And so by keeping the commitment low for the cast and crew, I feel like we're able to kind of get away with these more in the way that I would like to. And as soon as you start moving into, you know, four, five, six week schedules, you know, when you're asking people to leave their families or, you know, just kind of like come and play around in my playground, uh, I want to make it a good experience for them. And it's always in Chicago. I mean, you prefer to bring everybody to Chicago and that's where you live and that's where it's the, you, have, you have access to your tools of, uh, tools of operation. Sorry, say that again. Did you shoot it? Did you, did you shoot Drinking Buddies in Chicago? Yes. So you always shoot in Chicago as much as possible these days. As much as possible. Yeah, I shot Digging for Fire in Los Angeles, and you know, earlier on in my career, a lot of those movies I shot in New York, and some of them in LA. But these days, I'm definitely trying to work in Chicago whenever I can. Um, your kid, you have two young kids now. Yeah, exactly. That's, That's a big factor in uh, wanting to stay home. But, you know, what, what that means is if I'm staying home, I'm working with a lot of actors from New York and L.A. So, you know, my comfort means their discomfort if they have kids and family. And so it's another reason to just keep it nice and quick. Okay, so I'm really curious to see what your scripts look like, or what the text that you the stuff you wrote out for those for the shows of your of, of Easy. Is there any way of getting a look at those at some point, or a couple? Yeah, of those? let me let me dig around and uh, and see what I what existed from that. Okay, fantastic. I think I have some PDF files of some of those. Excellent. Now, my I can you walk me through like. On the set, when your actors, you know, arrive and how you work with them in order to build the story out and just evolve a scene and how soon you start shooting and how much you tell them before before you start shooting and, you know, just, just how that just tends to, tends to go on a typical day in one of these shows. Sure. Well, we have, you know, we have the whole day's schedule, which helps us budget for time. And, you know, on an ideal day, I mean, we're sort of, we've overcompensated to leave, you know, an extra hour of flex time, just depending on how some of this goes. I mean, that's what I've discovered with the improv is, you know, a scene that you think is going to be a big scene ends up 
you do it in one take and you're done in 30 minutes and then some other thing that you thought was going to be really quick takes three and a half hours because of some new idea that pops up or something like that so that schedule is really rough and and so you know we typically get there eat breakfast hang around and talk while we're kind of easing into the day and then you know i don't really rehearse other than to make sure that the camera uh, is in a position to either capture the specific action or at least to follow the improv and you know i kind of want to save it so when i'm talking to the actors we're mostly talking in broad strokes about kind of how we think it's going to go or what we might talk about but it's not until everybody's in costume and makeup and we're ready to go that we really run a take for the first time and so what that means is you know occasionally that goes great sometimes it's not what we were thinking and then you know we're kind of taking a little pause to readjust or fix some things like that and you know each of these episodes was stylistically really different so you know if we've spent an hour and a half lighting and setting up a dolly move that starts in one room and moves into the next room you know we're probably going to stick with that idea and just keep running takes and adjusting the dialogue but if I'm handheld and we can go anywhere and you know a scene doesn't feel like it's working then we might make a much bigger adjustment in terms of the blocking or something like that so you know I, I couldn't say that any of these eight episodes went the same way but but you know we have a, a big enough production that it's the typical like you know six hours an hour long lunch break come back you know do another five hours or you know sort of however that goes with the typical turnaround and things like that on the movies it could be wildly different i mean i you know i've done like on happy christmas you know the crew you know it was me and four crew five crew and you know three actors four actors sometimes so you know we would just go out to lunch at a restaurant when when we felt like it you know it wasn't the kind of like typical day of production on a film set so you know I, I would say that I have a preference towards a more relaxed approach to that stuff you know it's it feels better for me to just shoot until we're happy with it you know break for lunch when we're hungry and come back and shoot until we get tired and but you know you kind of reach a certain size where that's not tenable anymore and and you know there's just way too much coordinating to do to try and figure it out like that and so uh, you know with the show i think in a perfect world the more i'm able to do it and get a handle on it the smaller we would get not the bigger you know that that even the even the netflix show could sort of come to resemble something like my smaller movies if we could figure out how to keep the quality level high but you know kind of keep the footprint down uh-huh okay that's interesting and in terms of the in terms of your thinking about the storytelling during a day of shooting do you, are there plot twists changes that take place based on some characters sometimes i mean I, I would say less on the show than maybe on some of the movies only because you know if we have a four-day schedule it's occasionally impossible to make a huge pivot but you know there have been massive production design changes like i had one idea of the characters house in one of the episodes what i thought that looked like and who i thought they were and then when the actors got to town we talked about it 
and they had a really strong idea and I liked that idea and so I took them over there with the production designer and you know we talked through it and then the production design and art department essentially had a day to undo everything and redo it in an entirely new way and you know the character suddenly had a different job and you know just a lot of things that we had, had started down the line on you know we were able to make a kind of big switch and and so you know that level of flexibility is certainly there mm -hmm. but you know if we're two days into shooting it gets a little difficult to have a major revelation and only have two days left to maybe cover that and so what i would like to do if we you know if the budget can get a little bigger with season two then and we can add more days of shooting then you know e each day of shooting that we can add like potentially with a weekend in between would be a much bigger opportunity to get a day or two under our belt and then still make some of these bigger changes you know so you could do a reshoot of a scene if you had exactly. to wanted to and that kind exactly. of exactly yeah add some stuff like you know have an extra day once we've put a cut together to shoot some transitions or you know just like all the kind of you know you know just like try and get it perfect as opposed to like the best we can do in four days and so you know there weren't many episodes where i felt like we needed an extra day and and we were able to know some of that ahead of time so so i believe two of the eight we did shoot five days instead of four because we looked at the schedule and realized it would be asking too much to do that in four and so you know what would have been that monday hangout day maybe became a half half of a hangout day and half of a shooting day mm -hmm. um and so you know everybody who i'm working with is like on board for the process you know the actors and the crew so nobody's caught off guard when when changes like that happen but you know it's still always a money and time thing and as far as just shifting a little bit as far as the what the show's about i mean thematically like what what were you what was what did you start with in terms of what the the, the kernel of what this thing was and what your vision of the show is well i just wanted to keep making my movies so i essentially pitched netflix you know eight of my movies only they're 30 minutes rather than 90 minutes and and you know the fact that some of the characters know each other uh, and there's these bits of overlap between the episodes, you, you know, might sort of like consolidate that into what felt like a season of television or, you know, a more traditional anthology format. But, you know, I, I pitched them a very broad, open-ended idea with the idea that, that I didn't even know what the show was yet. And, you know, I would have to do a season or two before even I fully understood what we might get after. So, you know, the characters are all coming from you know autobiographical places in terms of my connections either with the characters circumstances like being parents of young kids you know interpersonal struggles in their relationships there may be ethical struggles in their personal lives there's something of me in all eight of them and and you know i'm connected to them but what was nice about doing this instead of another movie was, you know, that I had a chance to cast the net a lot wider in terms of the people I was working with and, and sort of, you know, the age ranges of these characters. And, you know, it was pretty sprawling compared to, you know, something like Happy Christmas, which took place amongst three actors in one house. You know, it was like really 
a chance to get around the city a lot more. And so the idea would be that this could keep growing outward. And, you know, with each subsequent season that I'm able to do, we would meet new characters and then follow up on some of the other characters. So, you know, it's possible one of these couples who we meet in season one, we don't see again for three more years. And then we catch up with them in season four and it's three years later in their life. And, uh, you know, some other dilemma has kind of popped up. And so, you know, right now I would say that I would like to make this show, you know, on and off over the years for the rest of my life. So that, you know, there's this really long range, uh, all encompassing documents of some of these people, but, that's um, great. That's yeah. Fantastic. I mean, I, I'm dreaming pretty big about it. Feel it definitely feels like a project that I'm, you know, that's sort of open ended enough that it it would remain interesting to me forever. But you know, it's it's like one of the things that I talk to Netflix a lot about when I pitch the show. You know, I, I just don't have the attention span to do a series like Girls, for instance. You know, where you kind of like have these four characters. And, you know, they're your, those are your four leads and they have to be your four leads, uh, you know, contractually and otherwise, like every single season. And so that was always the thing that scared me away from television because mm-hmm. people have been, you know, my, my the speed of my productions and the kind of prolificness of my output has meant that over the years, almost everybody says to me, why aren't you working in TV? You would love TV. And, you know, I was always like, I don't think I would. I don't think that that's, you know, I just don't don't care about characters enough to want to spend, you know, all these seasons with them. And then I kind of, you know, I was talking to a guy named Billy Rosenberg, who is a producer at Party over here, which is like the Lonely Island Guys TV company. Mm -hmm. And Billy had optioned a script for a film for me and we knew each other and and you know he said come into the office like let's talk about the idea of you doing tv and you know over the course of that meeting i basically was telling him everything i didn't like about tv and and then you know it was interesting to kind of like land on a thing where i was like oh maybe i don't have to do any of the things i don't like and in fact maybe i can just keep making my movies and we can call that a tv show and so once that that kind of like idea hit i was really excited you know it was just like overnight that whole the whole opportunity of the thing opened up to me like i i've never felt inspired in that way to like think about tv as a possible medium and so I still don't know what the show is. You know, it's like it could be anthology format for the next three seasons, and then I could f- spend the fourth season just focusing on two of those characters. That's great. It's 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 almost like you've been writing novels for the last yeah. all these years, and then now <laughs> you're saying, "Hey, I should do short stories." Yeah, yeah. Or just, just a way to do short stories and just do and, and burst forth with, you know, volumes of short stories at this point. That's that sounds like a really great thing to do, and I, I understand completely. TV, you know, there are TV shows that I love, and you know, but I I always often feel like, oh well, how many seasons? You know, it becomes a financial endeavor to just keep the yeah. show going, and yeah. it, they they continue beyond the point of uh, of life. You know, that that right. should have in some cases. Um, you know, I was talking to someone saying, well, in England, we don't, you, they don't do that. They'll just do six episodes. And they said to me, well, you know, we only do six episodes in England because we don't have enough money. You know, yeah. so we would keep doing it. But this yeah. sounds like 
a great, great thing for you to be doing. And it does sound like you might at some point just, you know, do a long form with some of these characters that would just come up. Yeah, what's nice about it is like, you know, there's no, like in this first season, there's a set of characters who we're going to meet early in the season and then come back to later in the season. And, you know, there's nothing, there's no rigidity to the format, you know? And so it really does feel like, you know, I just get to follow my interests mm-hmm. politically, uh, economically, you know, like as, as these characters become representative of certain things, you know, it's just like as those things are culturally relevant, these characters can, can come, you know, in and out of the show. Okay. And so after you, once the show opens or st- it, it drop, do you, are you saying that it's dropping on, what's the date? September? September 22nd, this Thursday, all, all eight episodes go up. You know, it's the Netflix binge watch uh, yeah. model. And what will you, what, what kind of reactions are you, I mean, in terms of like being able to gauge, it's not like putting a VOD film out there and see, you can't, can you count, you can't count the numbers or. No, you know, there's, you, no, there's no charts, but you better believe Netflix counts the numbers. I mean, yeah. they, you know, they know everything. So, you know, it, it, I've never been through it, so I don't know how much they'll share with me or not, but I sense that I'll get a probably like the first 24 hours sense of it like the first week sense of it and probably after a month you know but i would say it'll be pretty clear culturally whether it's registering or not you know it's it seemed to me over the last several years that the netflix shows that sort of break out of the format and enter the broader cultural conversation are are pretty clear you know it's easy to see how something like stranger things you know i didn't have to go looking for it i was ending up in conversations with people where it kept coming up and so uh you know my fingers are crossed that the show reaches people and and you know has a real audience but what's beautiful about the netflix format is you know that algorithm of theirs will help the show find the people most likely to like it and you know when you put out a movie you are buying advertising you know, sort of like throwing rocks, hoping to hit the people who might like it. And because Netflix already has all that data, you you know, it's just like puts the show at such an advantage already to, you know, theoretically find its perfect audience. So did they talk to you at all about who those people were, who they thought? I mean, it's pretty obvious, you know, the people, what, what their people might be watching on Netflix who would also be interested in your show. But they never discussed any of that with you in, in any form? No, that's all. Th- those are all conversations that they have internally. And then, you know, what I get is like, OK, we'll do the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, and we'll, you know, it's like anybody who's ever watched Drinking Buddies, Happy Christmas, Hannah Takes the Stairs, you know, anything... Those people are going to obviously get bombarded with uh, opportunities to check this out. Suggestions um, for you. Exactly. Yeah. So, and so is there any, how much promotion are they emphasizing outside of their own internal thing on Netflix? Are you doing a publicity blitz or, you know, what, what's the... A little bit. You know, what's interesting about them, and actually it's really smart, is that doesn't really start until the show is up. Because, you know, what they've discovered, and I think they're 100% right about this, 
is that any publicity that's hitting before the show's available is potentially, you know, getting lost on somebody who's going to forget about it a couple weeks later. So they like everything to be landing when the show's already there so you can just go watch it right away. And so, you know, it'll I would imagine that the amount of work that I and the actors end up doing to promote the show will be directly related to how many people are interested in talking to us once the show goes up. But, you know, they're buying billboards. There will be some billboards in L.A. and, you know, just some, like, typical, you know, magazine ads and TV promotion stuff. But, you know, they really believe in the platform. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've had a lot of conversations with them, and it seems crystal clear that the big driver of viewership for their shows is once people are already on Netflix and so I think it's really interesting you know it's the first thing of mine that's going to have an international reach in any kind of real way I mean Drinking Buddies Sony put Drinking Buddies out everywhere other than North America and I think they did pretty good on it but you know this show will come out in 190 countries on Thursday all at once and wow you know, just be dubbed into all those different languages and you know i mean it's like really wild to think about that i made this thing with my you know small crew in chicago the same way we've made the movies but you know the sort of instant global audience is going to be akin to a big hollywood film release that's fantastic and they 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 take care of the the dubbing of all those languages that's yeah that's why you know you have to deliver the show months before it actually comes out because it's as you can imagine like an insane task to get every single netflix platform in all 190 countries ready to debut the show at the same time and so you can't possibly monitor any of oh that. god no, no. <laughs> wouldn't i wouldn't want to no. i mean it's uh it's it's just exciting for me that it's happening and, you know, I mean, the only thing I'll ask for is to, like, get a hold of some of these dubbed versions, yeah. just watch them. Go to Lithi Lithuania and, yeah, and totally. take a look. So let me just go backtrack on one thing. In terms of your post, do you, did you edit yourself or do you you edit on, you still edit on your laptop? You yeah. You edit this on so, your laptop? You did? Yes, we did. Yeah. I mean, same, same as everything. We shot it on the red. And then I worked with uh, Harrison Atkins and Daniel Johnson, who, you know, I developed this system on the last movie. And so one of them would be on set with me in a kind of like capacity. It's impossible to like name the jobs that these two guys did. But basically, one of them would be in the editing room all week, getting dailies and assembling a cut. And then the other would be on set with me taking notes that were going to the editing room to help assemble that first cut. So whoever was on set with me was keeping, you know, logs of how many takes we did with notes from me after each take saying maybe use that close up from take two, but then maybe try a version where we go to the wide shot from take three and then see if we can, you know, use that moment from take one at the tail end of the scene. And so these notes would go over to the editing room they would try it and then maybe the next day at lunch the laptop would come over and I would sit and watch you know some passes at cuts and give some more notes so that by the end of the week we had a pretty good version of the episode 
And this was also a way to make sure that if we, in fact, did want to add some scenes or, you know, throw some additional things into the schedule for the tail end of the week, that, you know, by midweek we had a pretty good sense of where we were, you know, how the, how the characters were tracking, how the sense of humor was landing, you know, all that kind of stuff, so that we still had a day or two to make some adjustments. And... And then they would switch episodes, basically. So, you know, whoever was in the editing room for episode one would be on set with me for episode two. And so we just went through the season back and forth like that. That's great. And so w when you're on the set, when you're telling the editor who's there, the guy who's there, like, about what, what, what you're shooting, is that you always do that on all, you've done that always on all your films? Where you no, it's like in, our, it's, I, I used to edit myself, so I wouldn't have to tell anybody. You know, I would just, we would shoot, and then that night I would just edit. And so I remembered everything that I liked from that day and then just, put, you know, sort of assembled it that night. And then, you know, as the production started to get bigger and more demanding, I just didn't have time to go home and edit. I had to go home and sleep. And so I worked with these two guys. They, they had just graduated from film school when I made Drinking Buddies. And so, you know, I brought them on to Drinking Buddies as, as DIT you know, sort of card management, data management. But I knew them both to be good filmmakers and editors from having watched their student work. And then they both moved to New York and, I, you know, I sort of stayed in touch with them. And when I was doing the movie with Jake, I called them and asked if they wanted to come back to Chicago for, you know, four weeks and, and try and, you know, do this method, this sort of alternating onset and editing room method. And so we tried it out on that movie and it was really great. And what's nice about the show is because, you know, because they're alternating being in the editing room and being on set with me, they're getting to know what I'm into so much quicker than maybe a traditional editor would. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they also have a really good sense of the footage, you know, sort of much better sense of the footage than and sort of the vibe on set and things like that. So, you know, now that we've figured out the method, I think it'll remain uh, the method. I think I'll always try and do this, hopefully with Harrison and Daniel, but uh, you know, I'm well aware that they'll graduate beyond me soon enough. So, but you know, because I've never had a script supervisor because there's never been a script, you know, just kind of having somebody around who's keeping track of what we're actually doing is helpful anyway. You know, those script notes become useful four months later when we're like, wait a minute, didn't we do an insert shot of the phone? And then, you know, we don't have to go digging through mountains of footage. We can just pull up the notes and, and find out whether we did or not. In terms of just watching the filming and just, you know, when you're directing and just, you know, the shooting is taking place and the actors are improvising, do you generally realize or just feel that this is the moment, I want this moment in the film, this is you're sort of like always cutting in your head to some extent, even if you're just on your own or you're just letting it happen and hoping to, you know, looking to the cutting room to figure it out later. I'm, I'm always cutting in my head. I mean, I, I'm never not watching a scene hyper aware of whether we've covered something or, you know, whether if I use this piece, can we get to it? from that other piece and that other take if not do we need an insert that'll help me marry take two and three together you know continuity things i mean you know it's very much a part of my direction is being aware of that but you know 
having said that, I do think it's occasionally crystal clear to everybody on set when something nice happens, you know, when it comes together. And so, you know, we're always looking for that. And then what I would say about the nice thing about me being an editor, you know, sort of first and foremost is that I usually know whether we can move on once we've gotten it, you know, like it's a, that would be the big difference between me directing my own stuff and me directing an episode of love, you know, it's that I owe the editing room and I owe the writers a lot of different takes because I have no idea how they're going to cut it together. You know, I don't know what they want exactly. I usually haven't seen the episode that's right before mine and they haven't shot the one that's going to come after mine. So we might need alternate takes of different ideas because they might yeah. change their mind. You know, it's sort of like a much more technical directing job on something like that where, you know, the goal is to essentially make sure you have one of everything. Mm -hmm. And on my own stuff, I only need one of the one that I want. And so it's a really, uh, you know, allows us to occasionally move incredibly fast because if we got it, we got it. You said that you were first and foremost an editor. It, on your features, how much proportionally, how much time did you generally spend cutting versus shooting and writing? You know, I mean, how much is yeah. how much was the film made in in, in post? By uh, the first couple of movies were made entirely in post. I would say I was not, you know, as a director, all I all I knew was that I wanted stuff to feel naturalistic and that I wanted the rhythms to you know sort of makes sense to me but uh, you know i mean on the first couple movies i would do you know 35 40 minute unbroken takes of dialogue scenes that would get cut down to two minutes you know it's it was really uh i shot those much more like documentaries than like narrative films and so you know i i was in the editing room for a lot longer than i was ever on set with those movies and that's that's flipped a little bit i mean i like I said, because of the four-day production schedule and the bigger infrastructure and the fact that I'm writing more now, you know, I have a much stronger sense of what I'm hoping to get from these scenes. And But, you know, there's still always those days or those scenes where, I, you know, there's just an emotional feeling I want, but I don't have any idea how we're going to achieve it. And then maybe we do end up shooting a 20-minute take still, you know, just to kind of let people fool around and then you know i would still say if i were sitting there watching a 20 minute take i would probably still lean over to daniel harrison and say okay that that little 45 second piece there is the stuff we want as far as input to the actors on set like what kind of things do you talk about with them i mean how you know do you take into account different acting styles you encounter different acting styles for sure a lot of different acting styles i mean it's really pretty uh, amazing how people's process is different and you know i think that ideally what i'm hoping for is uh you know a consistent feel to each episode but that all the eight episodes would feel different from each other you know other than the obvious my, my sensibilities are going to inform all eight episodes to some degree or another but you, you know be nice if you watched 
if you didn't know that these came from a TV show and somebody sat you down to show you two different short films that you wouldn't sense that they were made by the same people at all. And that means just trying to get each individual cast on the same page with each other, you know, not worrying about any kind of like tonal thing for the show itself, but just on a week by week basis, making sure that whoever is working together feels like they're in the same thing. So keeping them present with each other and just in communication with, in, keeping them in good communication with each other and just in a sensory on, way? On set, yeah, but I would say that like one of the biggest differences that I've noticed with how people, with how actors like to work is that like, you know, some of those casts we would wrap every day and we would all go out and eat together and drink together and be up all night talking and hanging out and others wanted to go back to their hotel room and prepare, you know? And and so that just was like a real big personal decision. And I wanted everybody to be able to work the way they want to work. And so, you know, I would say as a director, I, I do feel like a little bit like I'm a party host, you know? I'm, I'm kind of inviting these actors to Chicago to do this weird small thing. And, and so I wanna make sure that they're having a good time. And so, you know, there's like an aspect of just being respectful of how different people have a good time. And sometimes that's different amongst different casts, you know, like uh, actors within the same episode have different working methods and preparation methods. And so, but, you know, everybody's really relaxed and professional. I mean, I would say that, you know, the thing when, when I was doing those Skypes early on and, and first starting to think about the show, I mean, I want to cast people who I get along with, you know, who make me laugh and who I think are interesting. And so, you know, everybody who was coming to town had passed through my, you know, one level of my filter already. And then, you know, the question was how on the same page are we all going to get over the course of the week? And, you know, I would say in some instances it was like a total mind meld. Couldn't have been closer. Everybody 100% on the same page. And in other weeks, it felt much more like a, you know, like a hard line between work and outside of work. And I, I kind of like both, to be honest with you. You know, I, I don't have a preferred actor method. Like, I don't need to be friends with the people I'm working with, you know. And so sometimes it's really fun when that friendship forms and it feels like everybody's in town and it's like a summer camp kind of vibe. And then other times, you know, it's kind of nice if somebody finishes the day and says, you know, great work, I'll see you tomorrow and goes home. And so it's just like, I wanted to make sure if I had two people in town that the person who wanted to go home didn't feel bad about that. And the person who wanted to hang out knew that I was down to hang out, you know, that like it all could be accommodated. Okay. And, uh, okay, we'll wrap up in a minute, but let me, just Uncle Kent Jr., any, <laughs> Uncle Kent too. I'm sorry, Uncle Kent Jr., we're waiting for that one, maybe that'll be the third one. Um, so, any anything you want to say about that? I watched that film last night, and I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I, I was wondering... I, I really like it, too. I think it's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I, you know, it's interesting, because the idea of an Uncle Kent too had been kicked around for years before Todd, you know, before I heard from Kent that Todd was going to do it. And I, you know, they sent me a cut and I just was totally blown away. I mean, it's, it's so Todd's film, but it's still Kent. And I, you know, I'm really proud of it. I'm excited that it exists. And I think it's, 
everything I say in that film is true. Like I really do hate sequels and I hate the current culture of, you know, reboots and sequels and mashups and whatever else. Like I'm dying for just some original content or at least the old way that we used to do it, which is you just stole an idea and called it something new instead of you know, <laughs> you know, kind of like buying up properties and then regurgitating them every four or five years. But you know, what's nice about uncle Kent too, is it's not a, not even close to a sequel in any traditional, uh, term. And it's, you know, m- much weirder and more experimental than the first film. And I just, uh, you know, I- I'm really happy that something like that, that there's space for something like that to exist. And, and if it's like piggybacking off of the kind of like small naturalistic original uncle Ken to that, you know, it seems like a really fun mind fuck for anybody who wants to like go down that path. Yeah. It really, it really on its own terms, it really goes, goes the distance <laughs> more. I would say no, it's, it's funny and it's, it's, uh, it's a little shocking in a way, you know, shock, yeah. shocking might be yeah. too strong a word, but it's like, you know, it, but, uh, yeah, he did, they did a very good job and the visuals are really interesting. I mean, the visuals oh, are I very totally, well executed. Totally yeah. I think it's, I think it's a great looking film and I think, it's you know i mean in many ways a really nice introduction to todd rohall's work as well i mean he's been uh you know existing on his own plane since he was in film school and i think uh you know this is like a really good representation of of like what he finds funny and you know his take on the world and the text in the beginning, you're, you're in the uh, you're you're in the beginning of the film, refusing to do the seek to, to to do the movie. Yeah. And then there are these texts that he that uh, Uncle that Kent sends to you, where <laughs> he's sort of like, and then he doesn't send them. He writes them, and he's trying to engage you in doing being involved, and then he doesn't yeah. send them. Did yeah. that really happen, or is that I mean, sort of po- like a? It's possible. What's nice about that movie is I just got to watch it like a viewer. You know, like all, all the stuff that I did in the movie, I did in half a day. And then I didn't know anything else about what they were doing until I saw it. So, uh, but you know, what I said to them was like, do whatever you want. Like, uh, you know, the, the best version of this is a movie that I don't have anything to do with. And so, you know, it's like fun to be there in the beginning, but it's it's much more fun to be, you know, really disconnected from the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. And what um, else? Can I, can I promote one other thing? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, what because, else have you got coming up? Well, I've been, you know, I've been producing uh, other filmmakers' work, and and with Peter Gilbert, who you know produced and shot Hoop Dreams, and. This guy Eddie Linker here in Chicago, you know, the three of us have kind of rounded up some money that we're using to finance films by other filmmakers we love. And so one of those projects, which is called Little Sister, directed by Zach Clark, is going to come out in theaters October 14th. And so, you know, in addition to to Easy, I'm I'm similarly gearing up because we're going to do our, you know, we're going to self distribute this theatrically just to see what's uh, left of the theatrical market. So, and because we love and believe in theatrical, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah. sort of, and, as everything moves to Netflix and Amazon and, and, you know, it's sort of like increasingly feeling like the, the squeeze is happening for anything other than comic book movies. Uh, I'm excited to say that we're going to try and put this thing out in movie theaters. And what, a, give just two, 
two short questions or long questions actually. What's the what's the movie about? Who any who's in it? And and uh, then second second thing, how are you doing this distribution? Are you opening in New York and LA and Chicago at the same time, or what? What, what are the mechanics of that basically? Yeah. So the so the film is called Little Sister. It stars Addison Timlin and Ali Sheedy. And uh, Addison plays a young nun. She's uh, on the verge of becoming a nun. And her brother uh, returns from the Iraq war, disfigured from an accident. And it, uh, it brings her back home. She's sort of been disconnected from her parents. Ali Sheedy plays her mom. This is a comedy, by the way. I know that that uh, wow. description sounds like really heavy, but Zach has one of the most twisted senses of humor uh, of any filmmaker I know and, and, you know, manages to make this film not only funny, but really interesting. And, you know, the whole thing takes place on, in the sort of run up to Barack Obama's first election to president. So it takes place in wow. 2007, late 2007. And so, you know, as we approach, our, you know, our own election right now, it's actually a really interesting film that sort of like jolted me when I first saw it because it reminded me of all the optimism, mm -hmm. you know, leading up to Obama's presidency and, and then to sort of like watch that movie right now. Yeah. I'm like, oh God, the last eight years have been really, uh, you know, I don't, I just don't sense any of that optimism anymore. But, but you know, it's really, uh, Ali Sheedy's amazing in it. Addison's really good in it. It's a really cool movie. And so, you know, we're gonna open it in New York at the Metrograph. And then the next weekend, it will expand to Chicago and L.A. And then we have, you know, about 15 cities booked right now. Some of these are week-long runs. Some of these are one-off screenings. But, you know, we're going out to all the, you know, there's still a lot of independent art house theaters around the country. And so, uh, you know, we're kind of going to them as a modest film with no, you know, big distributor attached saying, you know, this film is going to be on iTunes and available in all the kind of traditional ways, but we want to make sure for those audiences that care to see it on the big screen, uh, they have an opportunity to. So simultaneously, it'll be available VOD in, 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 in a lot of systems or just on yes. iTunes? Uh, uh, definitely on iTunes. And, you know, because we're learning this ourselves, you know, TBD on how many additional systems we can make it available on. I believe it will be on Amazon and iTunes and, uh, you know, uh, as for cable VOD and some of these other platforms, I'm not entirely sure right now. We're working on that. And will you people be showing up to do promotions and create some kind yes. of event De around each De of the definitely. theatrical? Uh, uh, yeah, I will be in Chicago when it opens here. Uh, Zach and I and hopefully some of the actors will be in New York on October 14th when it opens there. And, you know, we're, we're living in the age of Skype Q&As and things like that. So, you know, we're trying to make ourselves available to talk about the film after screenings, uh, even if we might not physically be there. Is it coming to the Michigan Theater, just so I can see it around I here? I do not know. That's, That's a, a great, great venue. Up. You know, Ann Arbor, the Michigan Theaters, you know, a lot of people will go see this movie. It may not be too late. Maybe I'll ask your help uh, connecting with them. All right. I'll be happy to do that. All right, Joe, thank you so much. This has been fascinating and fun and uh, looking forward to Easy and uh, the other film and uh, the other films. And um, hey, we didn't talk about our project, our erstwhile project. <laughs> I keep trying to bring you back into, you know? So, well, 
I, I keep trying to not. What are you work, doing so. the next year? Yeah. <laughs> between uh, between episodes, between seasons of uh, of the show. Well, to be totally honest, finishing the two movies I shot before I did the show and then didn't have time to finish. So, I'm uh, the rest of this year is spent finishing this movie, Win It All, which I did with Jake Johnson. And then I made a movie with Aubrey Plaza even before that, that, you know, as soon as I finish the one, I'll get to work finishing the other. So, uh, and then my wife makes movies too. So, uh, you know, she's, she's due a production sometime next year where I'll, you know, assume the role of stay at home dad for a couple months. Okay. All right. Well, the title of the, of the project, a dream of undying, undying fame, I guess it is appropriate to where the project is <laughs> in the scheme of things, but I have to keep trying. I, I workshopped it in with Joan in Joan Shekel's place in L.A. and, and came up with a whole other approach, which you can talk about at some other time. I won't put it on this this podcast. So sounds um, great, man. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, great speaking with you. And that's it for now. If you would like a PDF transcript of today's show or want to check out our schedule, you can get it all and more at theprocess.ink. And of course, we're on iTunes and all those other good places. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Benedict.